Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. I want to invite Larry to come up. Um, Larry's going to share the word with us this morning. Let's let's pray for him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for Larry. Lord, we thank you for him being a part of our family, Lord. We thank you for the gifts that you've given him. Lord, I pray that you would by your Holy Spirit, guide his words this morning as he shares the word with us. Lord, lead him. May it be your words speaking to us, Lord, and may you open our ears and our hearts uh, to receive this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Brian. Good morning, family. How's everybody doing? Happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know what to say because Thanksgiving just ended and Christmas isn't quite here. It's still November. Um, um, I want to preface uh, anything I say today with the fact that I'm aware kids are in the service today. Um, we love kids here. There's a ton. Uh, you heard all the jokes about the baby dedications. Um, thing is, those aren't jokes. Uh, we do have one like every other week. Uh, it, it happens. Uh, and so uh, it's okay if kids are crying, if kids get a little restless. Um, it won't bother me. Um, shouldn't bother the people around you. We're pretty used to it here. Um, and I'm going to keep what I've got to share this morning brief. Uh, I hope it'll be a a brief word, uh, but a timely word. I think in light of um, where we're at as a church and where we're at um, just on the calendar, I'm hopeful that it'll be a timely word for us all to hear. So um, if you've got a Bible or if you want to grab one from the pew in front of you, go ahead and flip to Philippians chapter 4. We're in in an interesting place, uh, an interesting time of year as as a culture right now. If you were here last week, you heard us share about uh, the trip we took to India, the trip Mindy and I and a handful of others from here got to go on, uh, and some others from other lifelink churches in the area. Um, And it's hard when you go on a trip like that to not um, come back and spend a lot of time reflecting on the things that you saw and on what it is God did. Um, One of the things that, of course, stands out um, is the, the differences between our culture and the culture you visited. Um, So if you've ever been on a missions trip or ever traveled to a place where there's a lot of um, poverty, a lot of just heartbreaking things, um, it's hard to to see that not be affected. And so um, in light of the India trip, um, one of the things that I've been kind of working through is um, really how do we live in light of that? Um, In light of the fact that we have so much here, we are so blessed, we have money and, and gifts and resources, all these things, Um, How do we not just go have fun for a week in India, see God doing great things, and then disconnect from that, Um, but in our normal lives here, how do we live when we know there's massive needs, spiritually, physically, um, emotionally, all around the world, there's massive needs. So how do we live as as followers of Jesus? How do we live faithfully uh, in light of that? Um, So there's that running through my mind. Um, And then, like I said, uh, the particular time of year we're at is interesting because um, on Thursday we celebrated Thanksgiving, right? It's a a historical, traditional holiday. It's a time where we gather with family and friends and um, we we recount the blessings of the Lord to us and and we were full of gratitude and thanks. Uh, And then it used to be midnight, but now 5 p.m. on Thanksgiving hits and it's Black Friday where all the madness, mayhem begins, right? It's all about what can I get? What kind of deals are happening? What do I need? Where can I go get this? Um, we, we see these stories and videos on TV of 
um, people fighting to get $20 off a microwave and like the, these crazy things. And, and we can laugh. Um, maybe we're in, involved in those situations. Maybe you're a Black Friday shopper. Maybe you're not. Um, but it's really interesting that right on the heel of the day that our culture celebrates and gives thanks, we have this massive shopping day or shopping weekend where it's all about getting more stuff and getting other things. And um, it, it's just this weird contrast, right? How do those two work? Why isn't there at least some distance between them? So, so there's all these thoughts running through my head. Um, and, and how do we as followers of Jesus live faithfully in, in a world like ours? Um, that's the challenge every generation and every um, culture, every church all over the world has to face is, is how do we live faithfully in the world that we find ourselves in? It's no coincidence that God's put us here. He's put us in northwest Indiana, Chicagoland, America, um, in, you know, the early 2000s. Um, if he wanted us here 100 years ago, we would have been there. Um, and so God's put us here. How do we live faithfully? Um, Philippians 4, Philippians is an, a phenomenal, phenomenal letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And a little bit of background is um, Paul's writing this from a prison cell. So he's not sitting in his study, dictating it to some secretary or scribe who's writing down the letter. Um, he's writing it from prison. Uh, we don't know if he's in prison in Rome or somewhere else, um, but he's writing it from prison to the church in Philippi where uh, the book of Acts shows us God did some awesome stuff. Paul was actually in prison there, um, and, and God showed up, earthquake, opened up all the doors of the prison. Um, the jailer was about to kill himself, and Paul said, yo, we're still here. Like, there's no need to do that. We didn't run away. Your life isn't in danger. Um, and the jailer and his family and um, come to Christ, and a church is formed, and um, just awesome things. So Philippi is, is very near and dear to Paul's heart. Um, and here from prison again, he's writing back to them. Uh, it, it seems like what sparks the letter is um, through a guy named Epaphroditus, um, the Philippians send a, um, a, a gift of financial support to Paul for his ministry. And if you read through the letter, that kind of becomes clear. But um, that's kind of the background to it. Uh, but Philippians is a really interesting book because um, in it we see um, kind of two things. Number one, we see Paul's heart in a lot of ways. Um, he's, he's very transparent in this letter that he writes to the church in Philippi. Um, and we also see, um, or don't see, um, what's common in a lot of the other letters. A lot of Paul's writings, he, he's um, correcting the church on certain things. He's uh, challenging the way that they think or the way that they're living. There's, there's rebuking and encouraging. Um, in Philippi, the, the whole kind of vibe of the letter is um, one of loving care. There's not a whole lot of like, this is wrong, you need to fix this, or, or you're not living in line with the gospel, or, or this is sinful. We see that in Galatians and in Ephesians and different things. But Philippi, really, there's this tone of just loving care. Like he's writing to good friends that he loves, and he's reminding them of important things. And it's a really, really neat letter. Um, but this morning, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 specifically. Um, and the, the reason I want to look at this is because... Um, Paul talks here about the secret of contentment. Um, and I think that's important for us to consider um, now as we, we're on the heels of Thanksgiving and Black Friday and as we're looking forward to um, Christmas. Um, today is the beginning of, of Advent, which on like the traditional liturgical Christian calendar is time where we, we look kind of back to Christ's coming, 
Um, we look to Christ coming into our lives each day, God's faithfulness, um, and we look forward to Christmas and ultimately to, to Christ coming back. And so um, we're right at the start of Advent in this, this period where um, our hearts are, are meant to begin um, growing in anticipation and in longing for Jesus to come and set things right. And so um, I want us to, to consider this morning as we look at Paul as an example, what is the secret to contentment? Um, how is it we can find contentment? Because if, if you don't know, it's, it's not the will of God that you should be on a hamster wheel, constantly chasing after something all your life, trying to find happiness, trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction, but never quite getting there. And that's not how God's designed life to be. And that's not what he wants for you. And, and so here Paul talks about um, having learned the secret to contentment. And so together we're going to um, just unpack that in a few minutes um, and hope that the Lord would um, drill some of these things into our own hearts, that we would uh, begin to learn the same secret that Paul learned so many years ago. Um, so we'll look at Philippians 4. Um, we will start reading in verse... 10. Um, Paul writes this as, as he's wrapping up the letter. Again, remember, he, the Philippians sent him a gift of, of support uh, for his ministry um, as he's in prison. And so that's, that's important to keep in mind as we read this section. But Philippians 4.10 says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. <clears throat> Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul here says, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of facing plenty of facing want, of, of having an abundance, or of being in great need. Um, I've learned the secret of, of, regardless of the circumstances of my life, of being content, right in the middle of it. Um, in, here in this passage, or this section, he doesn't exactly make it clear to us what that is. Right? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, so clearly there's something that Jesus um, does to him, some sort of strengthening or empowering that Jesus brings to him that enables him to be content, whatever the circumstances. Um, but he doesn't specifically say what the secret is here, and it kind of drives me crazy. Like, Paul, you, you say you've got this secret, just let us in on it, man. Um, but as we look at the letter, um, the entire letter here, uh, I think we can unpack it a little bit more. Um, so first off, um, let me say this. Contentment is a must for us as Christians. It, it's a must for us to be content if what we say is true. Um, so if we say that Jesus is supremely satisfying, if we say that we were made to live life with God and, and our sin separated us, um, our, the, the curse of sin has kind of broken the world, um, but ultimately if we say we were made to know God, to live life with Him, to enjoy being with God, um, and that Jesus has, has made a way for that to happen, um, then contentment is a must. We really don't have an option. If we're living lives where we say we finally got in Jesus what our hearts were made for, it, it's not okay if, if we're living lives that are plagued by discontentment and always searching for more. Um, because then um, the message we give really rings false. Um, is, are you sure Jesus is enough or is there something else we need? 
Do I need a, a bigger TV? Do I need to make a certain amount of money or to have a spouse or to have X amount of kids? Um, is, is Jesus really enough? Um, is my heart really made for God and can he satisfy me? Um, or do I need other things? So it, it's a must for us as Christians. Um, contentment is also an, an incredible thing and it's so important for us because contentment frees us from a lot of things. Um, first, contentment frees us from greed, right? That insatiable desire for more. Um, got to have a bigger bigger TV. Got to have a, a newer this or a newer that. Got to have the newest version of this or that. Um, contentment frees us from that because it says, I, I'm content. I've got enough. Um, things, things inherently are not bad, um, but I'm content. I've got enough whether I have the newest and the latest and the greatest or not. Um, contentment also frees us from having to keep up with the Joneses. Right? I don't have to, to continually look at my neighbor or the people sitting in the pew next to me and say, oh, I wish I had a car like his. Oh, man, I wish I had the newest iPhone. I wish I had this or that. Um, I wish I had a, a wife like his or a husband like hers. Um, we, contentment frees us from that because we're not so concerned with the circumstances. We're not so concerned with the things that we have. Um, and, and what that does is because we're free from, from that um, that, that trap, um, we're able to love people like we should, right? I, I don't need to keep you afar. I don't need to um, compete and compare myself against you, so I'm able to love you. I'm able to sacrifice getting myself, uh, you know, the newest car, um, and instead get myself something that's decent and, and give the extra money to you because you're in need. Situations like that. There's a ton of situations, but does that make sense? How contentment frees us to love people because we're no longer competing with them. Instead, we're, we're, we're family with them and we're, uh, we're content in ourselves. So a couple reasons there why contentment's so important. Um, but Paul says he's learned the secret. Um, he's found something so, so deep, something so unshakable that um, no situation can threaten it. Um, and, and what is that? Well, Paul says here, he says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so we're going to use those two things. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. And we're going to look at two other places in Philippians and kind of um, unpack a bit how Paul faces being brought low and how Paul faces abundance and having plenty. And so um, flip over really quickly, just one page to the left in uh, Philippians chapter 1. Um, first, we'll look at this being brought low. Remember, um, Paul writes this letter from a, a prison cell, right? He, pretty low. Um, pretty low circumstances. Um, circumstance, circumstantially, there's a lot that he needs, right? He, he writes it from a very low place. He says, um, actually, we'll get there in a second, um, but he writes it from a low place. And so circumstantially, he's low. He doesn't have much. Um, I was blessed um, when we were, when I, my old job, um, worked for a nonprofit, um, got to spend some time in Europe, which was awesome. Um, but one of the things we got to do when we went to the city of Rome is see what um, traditionally is considered to be the prison cell where Peter and Paul were held in Rome. Um, and it's not much. You, you walk down this dimly lit um, kind of round stone staircase into a round stone room, probably 12 feet in diameter, uh, and it's, it's 
cement, stone, everything. And there's right in the middle, a pillar, yay high. And, and that, that's what prisoners were chained to. And that was their environment. And so Paul very well could be in a situation like that. We don't know where he's in prison, but um, that was a typical Roman prison at the time. And so um, circumstantially, there's a lot that Paul needs. He, he, he's not writing from comfort or from leisure or from safety. Um, but his spirit doesn't get down. And we see that in the, the entire letter. We see this um, 14 times Paul says either rejoicing or joy. I rejoice in the Lord. Um, you rejoice in the Lord. Let us rejoice together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so there's this anthem of joy that, that permeates the entire letter. Um, the question is why? Why does Paul, how does Paul um, stay so joyful in the middle of such a situation? And I think we see the secret to it um, starting in chapter 1, verse 12. This is what he writes. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in prison, um, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So I think we see here first Paul's secret to being brought low and staying content in the Lord. And I think it's this, it's his rock-solid confidence in God's sovereignty, in, in God's control, and his conviction that whatever happens to him, God is using it for the advance of the gospel. God, God is able to turn any situation or any circumstance into good. He's able to use it for good, um, whether it, it, it seems beneficial to me in the moment or not. God is able to, to turn it around, to redeem it, and to use it for the advance of the gospel. Paul really shows here a, um, a, a radical Christ-centeredness all throughout this book, but he shows what matters most to him, what, what's most important, is that Jesus would be made much of, that Jesus was being made known. doesn't matter whether I live or die. doesn't matter whether I have plenty or, or if I'm in need. What matters is that my precious, precious Jesus is being made known. Um, and, and that's not foreign to us, right? This isn't something from 2,000 years ago because this sort of Christ-centeredness, this sort of love for Jesus is exactly what would cause Katie, a, a mother, to stand up here this morning and say, I, I want my son to stand firm for Christ, even if it means something harder than I can imagine for him as a mother. Um, his grandfather, even if um, he's a Stephen, Stephen was a martyr. He died for Christ. He says, even if he's a Stephen, Lord, I'm praying that he would love Christ enough to stay strong. And so this isn't foreign to us, guys. It's, it's only this sort of love for Christ that would compel a mother or a grandfather to pray that sort of prayer because Jesus is that great. And so first and foremost, the secret to being content in, in low, hard circumstances is this conviction that God is in control and that God's able to use any circumstances for his glory, for Jesus to be made known. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the external, right? Paul says the gospel is advancing. The whole guard has known. Um, my brothers are now bolder to preach the gospel. That's the external. But we also see a bit here um, in, in chapter 3 of the internal, uh, of what God's doing in Paul's own heart in these hard circumstances. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, um, 
he, he lays out in you know, the first six or seven verses kind of his resume. Um, as a religious man, he says, um, I was born a, a Benjaminite, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was a Pharisee. This great, impressive religious resume. Um, but then he says this in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 7. Um, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and might share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what we see here is that through Paul's hardship, through his suffering, the gospel is advancing outside of him. It's advancing in, in the city that he's in. The, um, the, the church is bolder to share the gospel. But we also see in, in some way that as Paul suffers with Christ, the gospel is advancing in his own heart. Um, Jesus is becoming more precious to him. He says, I'll gladly suffer the loss of all things. I'll, I'll gladly embrace hardship. All I want is to know Christ. I'll consider everything else, all the comfort, all the goods, all my religion. I'll consider it all loss if I can just get to get more of Jesus, if I can just know Christ. And that's the beauty of the Christian faith is, is that Jesus is Lord. He came, he lived, he died, um, but he no longer is dead. He, he took his life back up. And so now as believers, as we live our lives, we don't do it on our own. We don't um, go about day by day doing our own thing with some future hope in heaven. We go about with the presence of Christ with us. That means when we are in good times, when we are in bad times, through, through his spirit, Christ is with us. And so heaven is, is eternal life with God. And, and it's begun now. As soon as we come to Christ, that, that eternity with God begins. He comes and he dwells with us. And so Paul, here in his prison cell, knows something of that, and he's teaching us of that. He's saying, it doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter that I'm in massive need right now. I just want more of Christ. And, and Christ is with me in this prison cell. And so we see a little bit there of, of the external and the internal, what God is doing. Um, Paul's secret to contentment, his, his confidence that God is in control, that Jesus is with him, and that God is using his circumstances for his good and for God's glory. And so um, that's being brought low. But I want to I talk too about how we face abundance. Remember in chapter 4, Paul says, I can be brought low and I know how to abound. I've learned the secret to be content. Because um, the reality is in our day-to-day -day lives, we, we face abundance a heck of a lot more than we face being brought low. Um, in, our, in our culture, if we zoom out, and look at our culture um, in perspective of the world um, and in perspective of, of all of history, um, we, are, we face far more abundance. We have far more, um, more comforts. Um, we are far safer than anyone in all of history, in all of the world. Um, our average lifespan is, what, 70, 80 years? Um, that is unheard of throughout history. And in the last, like, 150 years alone, that number has jumped 20 or 30 years because of technology, because of all the comforts and the things that have, have come about in the last 100 years. And so um, we face abundance 
um, even when we don't realize it. That this is our constant life. We live in this place of abundance, of safety and comfort, and that's not a bad thing. So don't, don't hear me saying that facing abundance is bad. Because Paul says here, I can face, I can be brought low, I can face abundance. I've learned the secret to be content whatever the circumstances. So it's not bad to, to have been born in America in this time. It's not bad to have a job that pays well. Um, it's not bad to, to have any of those things, to have access to health care. All those things are great, and we, we long to see them become realities across the world. We want poverty to be eliminated and things like that. But um, what's important is figuring out in the middle of this culture, how do we learn to be content? Because the lack of contentment is what drives Black Friday. It's what drives the constant barrage of advertisements and commercials everywhere you look, every time you pull up a web page on your phone or, or an app, or um, every time you turn on the TV, every time you drive down the street, um, there's ads, there's advertisements and these things everywhere. It's, it's driving this discontentment in our hearts where we're never happy, we're never satisfied. If only we could have one more thing. Um, I forget who said it, it probably 80 years ago, um, I just read it recently, um, someone, um, a CEO was asked, what is enough? And he said, just one more. Just a little more is enough. And that's really, that's our culture's battle cry, is if we can just get a little more stocked away for our retirement, if we can just get a little more space in our house, if we can just get a car that gets an extra 10 miles per gallon, if we can just get a little bit more, that's enough. But the reality is it's a lie and, and it's never enough because we get there and then we want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So it's a very important question for us. How do we face abundance? How do we live in our culture with some sort of contentment, with this contentment Paul talks about? Um, I think we see this in, in chapter 4. Uh, and it's it's not quite as clear as, as the example of Paul sitting in prison, but um, it's important for us. So, um, chapter 4, we've just read verses 10 through 13. Um, let's read uh, verses 18 to 20. Paul says this. Um, he's, he's talking about the gift the Philippians gave to him. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So what we see here is um, Paul talks about this gift that the Philippians gave to him. Uh, although he's still in prison, Paul, Paul says, I'm well supplied. I've got all that I need and more because of your generosity to me. Um, but what he makes clear in verse um, 19, he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ. And so he makes clear that there's, there's this connection or this um, conviction that um, though it came through the Philippians, um, ultimately the, the gift, the supply, the blessing um, came from God through Christ. It, it, it came to him through the church, yes, but ultimately it was coming from his, his generous heavenly Father. Um, and then in the next verse, in verse 20, he turns it into worship. Right? He says, 
to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul's recognizing God's generosity. He's recognizing that it's God's provision. It's God who's caring for him here. It's God who's brought him into this place of abundance and this place where he's got all his needs met. Um, but he turns it into worship. Now, this is what's important for us, is learning how in the middle of abundance to fix our eyes on God. Right? So, so when, we, when we get a gift, when we're blessed like Paul is, teaching ourselves to look to God as the one who's provided that. That's difficult. Um, that's very difficult. We, we tend not to do that. We tend to take these things for granted. Um, so it's teaching ourselves to recognize God's provision for us. Um, one thing that I learned in India was that it's okay to make this very um, obvious, um, almost in a way that seems cheesy at first, to us at least. Um, in India, I was struck by the what I would call the God-centeredness of people um, in the way that they talk. And so consistently, as we're interacting with brothers and sisters in Christ, interacting with pastors and different people, um, consistently <clears throat> you hear things like this, to God be the glory. Um, by the grace of God, this has happened, right? It's, man, Francis, like your ministry, the way it started so small and it's, it's grown into blessing hundreds of people, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, Larry, well, to God be the glory. Like, it's by the grace of God. And, and that's, that sounds cheesy to us, right? Like, that's not how we normally talk. But in doing that, in consistently, verbally pointing to God for, for every blessing, for every good thing that's happened, um, it, it teaches us something. It begins to teach our hearts that it's not <clears throat> by the fruit of my labor. It's not because I've, I, I work so hard that I get a paycheck every two weeks? No, ultimately, by the grace of God, I get a paycheck and I can pay for my family. By the grace of God, we have a warm home on cold nights. To, to God be the glory that um, the kids in this church are, are, are being raised in families where they're loved and cared for. Those aren't things to be taken for granted. And we have to learn as, as the people of God how to consistently point one another to the fact that all these things are gifts from God. All these things are, are God's generous provision to us. Um, so, so that's one thing. It, it, how do we respond? How do we be content in abundance? It's, it's by recognizing um, the, the root of these gifts, the root of the abundance, the root of the blessing. It's, it's God the Father. Um, <clears throat> but there's one other thing I want to challenge us with. is it's, it's not necessarily just verbalizing and saying, to God be the glory. Or, or thank you, God, for how you've blessed us. Thank you, God, for how you've blessed our family. It's, it, it definitely is that, but it doesn't end there. Um, I want to challenge us that oftentimes what it means, oftentimes the secret to finding contentment in our culture is through receiving the abundance, receiving your paycheck or, or the blessing, whatever it is, um, and then passing it on by sharing. It's It's... As we do that, we imitate God. We, we, we imitate God's generosity towards us as we take what we've been given and we pass it on and bless others. So we imitate God, um, but we allow other people then to, to enter into that chorus of, of praise and thanksgiving. All of a sudden, we become a community where um, we're, we're thanking God for the blessing. We're thanking God for one another. 
Um, we're, we're living life dependent on one another, right? So um, Ruth's car breaks down, right? Ruth, Ruth needs a car. She's got to get places. She doesn't have the money. What do we do? As a church, we don't need to um, just say, you know what, keep working hard at it, or Ruth, here's an odd job where you, you can come and clean my house and make some extra money. Those things are fine, and they're a blessing, absolutely. Um, but as a church, it's completely okay and acceptable for us to say, hey, I've got an extra $200 in my paycheck this week, and you've got an extra 100 and, and who has how much, and, and what can we afford to give in terms of money? Um, maybe we can get Ruth a new car tomorrow. Um, as long as we're all willing to take the, the blessing we've received from the Lord um, and to hold it open-handed and, and to distribute and, and share. And so um, that example is financial, but there's a lot of other examples. There's, there's giving of our time. There's giving of our gifts. Um, I don't know if, if Lorna's here, but Lorna has really blessed Mindy because Lorna is a really skilled seamstress, and she's been taking time regularly with Mindy, teaching her kind of the ropes of how to sew and how to make your own um, clothes. And she, Mindy's now been able to bless people as she's made burp cloths and different things. So it's like we see God's given Lorna this gift. Lorna's begun to pass it on. And then now through Mindy, um, it's being passed on and it's blessing more and more people. And, and so like to God be the glory for that. Thank you, God, for giving Lorna that gift. Thank you, Lorna, for giving your time to teach Mindy. Thank you, Mindy, for spending your time uh, to bless people who've just had babies. Uh, it, it goes on and on. But as we are intentional about that, all of a sudden it, it radically changes our community. It radically changes the way we interact with one another, the way we view our things. Um, as we, instead of hoarding and, and trying to, to keep things to ourselves, as we're able to just go like this, thank you, God, who needs it, um, all of a sudden we're, we've got that contentment. Our, our joy does not depend on how much we've got in the bank account or in um, what kind of phone we have, whatever. Our joy is not dependent on those circumstances. We've learned the secret of, of being content in all circumstances. And so, um, in closing, just to, to summarize those two things, um, I think Paul teaches us here in Philippians that the secret to being content in hardship is remembering and recognizing that God is sovereign and in control. And God is able to use every circumstance for good and for his glory. And the secret to being content in seasons of abundance is recognizing first that ultimately God is the one who satisfies and all good gifts come from him. And then it's to holding those things loosely and it's, it's to sharing, it's to blessing others, it's to being um, conduits of God's grace to other people. Um, people here in our community, your, your neighbors, people at work. Um, man, you don't know how surprised people will be, your neighbor or your the person who sits in the cubicle next to you, if all of a sudden you're, we're able to, to take some of these things to heart and say, oh, you, you need this? You need a new winter jacket? Here, here's $200. Go buy one. Like People will just be floored. Jaws will hit the ground. Um, it, that is a testimony um, that there's something different in a culture like ours where it's all about mine, my rights, my stuff, my possessions, um, my happiness, my fulfillment. Um, in a culture like that to say, no, like, yeah, it, it came to me, but I want to give it to you. Let me bless you. Let me, it, it, it'll radically affect people um, and it will um, create abundant opportunities to, to tell our, our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors you know, it's the grace of God that I'm able to do this. 
It, it's God's blessing to me, and it's, it's the grace of God that these things don't control me. Um, and I want to bless you just like the Lord's blessed me. So um, in this Advent season, as we look forward to Christmas, as we look forward to um, Jesus' ultimate return where all things will be set right, let's, let's not be distracted. Let's not be um, swayed or trapped by the consistent advertisements, the, th- the, the appeals to get more stuff, to, to get more for yourself. Um, instead, let's look to Jesus. Let's celebrate Him as a church, as a body, um, and let's give ourselves to um, learning this secret of contentment. Um, Paul says he learned it. It took time. It was a process. It takes training yourself and discipline. Um, it takes uh, experience. Um, but together, as we, we push each other to do this, we can learn um, how to actually be content uh, in this day and age, how to live faithful lives in the world that God's placed us in. Um, so I'm going to pray, uh, and then uh, we'll take communion after that. Um, Lord, thank you so much for how you blessed us. Um, God, it, it really is by the grace of God that we have um, not just warm homes and um, food in our stomachs, uh, but every breath is is a gift from you, Lord, and, and none of these things are to be taken for granted. So um, I do just ask, Lord, that you'd forgive us for the many times we, we take your kindness towards us for granted. And I pray that you would teach and train us to um, begin to see the giver behind the gift. Lord, help us to to not just enjoy the the sunbeam, but to run up the sunbeam to the sun uh, and, and to see uh, your generosity behind it all. Lord, help us to, to be people who um, can embrace hardship and can embrace plenty without fear of our hearts being um, stolen or, or with, without fear of uh, losing what matters most. God, teach us the secret to being content in all circumstances. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.